when you're early in a relationship, like uh, you're dating somebody, a lot of times the, the stress is on gift giving. You know, what do you give the person who you're uh, dating and that sort of thing? Um, so I remember, I remember when Miriam and I first got together, and I, like, I didn't know what sort of gifts to give. And when I was younger, what I would just do is, you know, it's a lot of pressure. You've got to know what right thing to get them. And, so when I was younger and dating, um, if it was the girl's birthday, I'd break up with her, uh, you know, just because I didn't want to buy a gift. So we've gotten in a rhythm now, which is nice. Uh, we've been married 30-something years, 31 years or so. And so now, for um, May is, gra- is a great month for Miriam because it's Mother's Day and her birthday. And so um, we combine those. <laughs> uh, she makes it easy for me. And I get her flowers. And I don't mean flowers that you put in a vase. I mean flowers that you put in the ground and so Miriam loves to plant flowers and so when I say I get her flowers what I mean is she goes and gets herself her own flowers uh it is perfect uh, it really works out for me uh, there are different reasons to give gifts and by the way we're in the middle of a series called things to know about God we're going to talk about what do you give the God who has everything because he tells us there's something we can give him it's really interesting we're going to talk about it in just a second but what do you give the God who has everything? It's a great kind of idea. Now, we've, we've spoken about in this particular series a couple of things. We noticed that, or noted that um, God wants to be our friend. Uh, he's gone to uh, great lengths for that to be accomplished. And so that's kind of a nice truth that we need to embrace. We talked about the fact that we can be honest with him. We talked about the fact that even though sometimes he seems far away, he's not nearly as far as he seems. And then last week we talked about the idea that God is the one who gives us hope and we get our hope from God. And so today we're going to talk about, because he does all those things for us, what, what, would, what could we give him back? Because there are different motives on gift giving. Sometimes you give because you want to get. Um, in Politics, it's called pay for play, and in Latin, it's called quid pro quo. And it would be like you have a neighbor and you want to borrow their chainsaw, and so you take them a pie, you know, and and it kind of you know greases the skids a little bit because you want to ask for something later. Sometimes you give a gift because you're excited about an accomplishment. So your kid makes a B honor roll, and you take them to Taco Bell. You know, uh, Popeyes is for all A's. Uh, so you you know you have standards, obviously. But sometimes you're just overwhelmed that somebody has, you just love somebody and you want to do something for them. And God has done so much for us that perhaps you are compelled to give him something. And if you are, and maybe I can talk you into it today, or at least we can discuss it some, what do you give a God who has everything? Because there's this amazing verse in Colossians that talks about, For by God, all things that were created, everything that's been created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, all things were created by him and for him. And if you do any research on this, you will see um, that God has created some amazing things. And he's created some amazing things only for his pleasure because we'll never see them. So there's this Hubble telescope. I called it the Hubble Telegraph uh, in the first service, but um, it's not that. Uh, It's the Hubble Telescope. Uh, We sent that into space, and because the Hubble uh, Telescope is out there, we take pictures of things that are amazing. Uh, This is one of them. This is called the Veil Nebula. 
I looked up what a nebula was. A nebula is interstellar dust. Did you even know? I didn't know they had interstellar dust. You don't have to dust in, in, in space. Evidently, it's really horrible. Um, this is called the ghost nebula. See the face? Kind of cool. This is a butterfly nebula. Now, these are so far in space that we would have never seen them apart from the Hubble telescope. I mean, we just would not have seen them. We can't, you can't see this stuff with the naked eye. It was created only for God's pleasure. These are called the pillars of creation. It's made up of, of space dust. Everything's dusty out there, evidently. Uh, I like this one. This is the Spirograph Nebula. If you ever drew a spirograph, you kind of see. Uh, this is the Crab Nebula. What's interesting about this one is it is um, six light years across. Light travels at 186 some odd miles per second. This is six light years across. This one, uh, having lived in New Mexico, I like a lot. A lot. This is the Sombrero um, Galaxy, which is super cool. This one's super interesting. It's called Hoag's Object. It is a circular um, galaxy with a star in the middle. It is 100,000 light years across. <laughs> it's a little bigger than the Milky Way. This is the Whirlpool Galaxy. Who are those four? I mean, un until the last 20 years, human eyes had never seen any of this. And there are... <laughs> There, there's space, it is so vast and so expanse that there are things we have never seen and will never see. And it's all been created for God's pleasure. This is another one. This, this is Orion's belt. And that star right there is called Betelgeuse, not to be confused with Betelgeuse, totally different. Uh, that star is... The size, it's twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun. I'm just, my mind is blown with all of these things. God's creation is so vast, and all of these things were created for His pleasure. Only for His pleasure. Because we are such narcissists as people. It's like, well, if it doesn't have some benefit to me, then, well, but all of this was created only for God. He... He's just done this for himself, for his own. He has this creative tendency to just do things that are amazing. I didn't include in our slideshow today, I'm not going to do any more of these, but there are sea creatures that are just phenomenal. There's, there's one jellyfish that when it yells, when it's crying for help, it glows. That's how it, it's just over and over we discover things that are different that we didn't knew no, existed, and all of that was created for God's pleasure. And so were you, and so, were, so was I. We were created for God's pleasure, not like a toy or a pet, but like a child. Look at this, John says this, See how very much our Father loves us, for He called us His children. That is what we are. We are His children. I don't know about you, but man, I love being around my kids. I just love it. I love hearing them laugh. I've got four daughters. Um, when they sing together, oh, there's nothing like sibling harmonies. It is uh, Bee Gees. I mean, think about that. Stand alive, stand alive. And that one guy, ah, ah, that you don't get that everywhere. I love that stuff. 
I love it. The girls will, they'll, they, they, they call it peppering in volleyball. If you're a volleyball person, you know what this is. And one of them bumps, and uh, one of them bumps, and then they, they set, and then they hit, and bump, set, hit. They go around and around, and it is pure magic. I, I love them. So when, when we see verses like this, I'm glad I'm a father because it gives me at least a little idea of what it's like to have a heavenly father and what our heavenly father feels about us. But you might say, well, and this text is for Christians. This is for people who follow Jesus. But also John said God loves the world. He, he loves all the world. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but there might be a tendency to be annoyed with another person or to look down on another person. To uh, Annoyed is probably the right word. Sometimes we just don't want to be around people. And yet, God loves each person the same. We're his children, not everybody's a child. I love the story of the prodigal son. That's just a great story where you've got a father who uh, is kind and generous to a jerk of a son who goes off and squanders his inheritance and then he comes back and the father welcomes him with open arms. And if we will go to him, God will welcome us. Now kids disappoint us and I'm sure we disappoint God. Uh, I read a... um, a tweet the other day by a lady named Kim Hads. She writes this, Mozart could, put, uh, could pick out tunes on a piano at the age of three, began composing at the age of four. By the time he was 12, he had written 10 symphonies and performed for royalty. My 13-year-old son has let the bathroom overflow twice <laughs> while he was in it. <laughs> so kids will disappoint us. I mean, you get that. You know how that works. But God is pleased with us. When I'm around my children, it pleases me. This week, I went to Kentucky to visit my mother, and my daughter lives in Cincinnati, and so we decided that we would drive up to see her for lunch. We drove three hours one way to see my daughter. You don't do that for the food. You do that because you love somebody. Jesus went to the cross Not because it was pleasurable. In fact, he even asked his heavenly father if it could be taken from him. You do things like that, and I don't mean to equate a three-hour drive with going to the cross. What I'm saying is you do, you make sacrifices because of love. Throughout Scripture, there are texts about God's love for us and us being his children. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. Listen to the warmth of this. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Sometimes people will think, okay, well, I can either please God or I can please myself, but I can't please both. It's like an either-or situation. I'm going to be happy or God's going to be happy, but it can't be both. And Jesus would say, that is just not true. In fact, Jesus put it this way. If you try to keep your life for yourself, if you try to only make yourself happy, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find true life. Jesus one time called it full and meaningful life. This amazing creator God of ours continues to create. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Now, I think of these pictures that we just saw. God prepared that for Himself. But now, this tells me He is... I, I, we can't even... We can't even imagine, we can't even 
think of. There's no possible way a human mind can, can contemplate what God has created for those who love Him. Because He loves us so much, because He's been so good to us, perhaps we'd like to do something for Him. And so, what do you do? What do you give a God who has everything? Now, some people will say, well, you light a candle, or you take communion, or you go to church, or you read your Bible. Those are all fine things, but I know myself, personally, I can do some of those things. I can do ritual without thought. I can pray without really being thankful. I know it's just sort of habit, and I do it, but I don't really think about it. I can take communion, I've done it before, and not really thought about the sacrifice. I, I should. I can read my Bible, I've done it before. In fact, I do it occasionally. I read my Bible all the time, but sometimes I read it, and I can get through with the paragraph or get through with the chapter, and I have no idea because I was thinking of something else. It's possible to do ritual and not connect. So what do we give a God who has everything? Well, Jesus answers the question. He said, and they, they, they said, somebody asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And, G, and Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So let's break it out just a little bit. What do we give a God who has everything? Well, firstly, we bring God pleasure when we give him our affection. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And you know, if you've ever felt affectionate towards somebody, uh, you know, or if you've had somebody, you feel affectionate toward them, and when they give you affection, you really like that. Well, we just saw that God loves us. He cares about us as a father for his children. And so we are, we, we are pleasing to him when we show him our affection. And people will do crazy things to show affection. I, I read about a guy named Trent Spencer. He's a 27-year-old high school teacher. He wanted to impress his wife. So as a high school teacher, he hired two of his students to break into his house and tie her up so he could rescue her. Ladies, up or down? Uh, I think that's a down. Okay. Um, so he hires these two students. They break in. They tie her up. They put duct tape on her mouth. <laughs> Makes me giggle. Uh, he rushes in. Now, he had a board he had already pre-sawed a little bit, so he whacked one of them over the back, and the board breaks, and, and the, the students run out. She doesn't know they're his students, and so he saves her, and they, they call the police, and the police investigate, and he would have gotten away with it, except one of the students told his parents. I, can you imagine that conversation? Honey, that whole breaking thing uh, might have been staged. Uh, might have been me. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that. Well, but we do crazy things when we're in love. That was a little over-the-top crazy, but you do crazy things. Now, remember when you're first in love and you, you want to tell them that you love them, but you don't know? How, you don't know? What are they going to say? You, know, you might say, I love you, and they go, well, thank you. Uh, really not good. That's not good. Or... That's nice. Because um, what you want if you say I love you is you want what? I want you want to I love you back, right? I mean, that's kind of what we want. When we say it, we want it to be reciprocated. And you're a little nervous the first time. Sweaty palms, a little dry mouth, tough. Well, I've got good news for you. God said it first. He, he said I love you first. In fact, <laughs> look at what it says in John. 
Uh, this is real love, not that we love God, but He loved us kind of first and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. If we ever wonder about God's love, we look at the cross. He said it first. The cross happened before you and I were ever even born. He has said it first. So, he, he talks about what He wants from us. I want faithful love more than I want animal sacrifices. I want people to know me more than I want burnt offerings. He is saying, I want relationship. I've got four daughters. Father's Day is coming up June, June 19th, I think, this year. Um, they will ask their mother, what does daddy, what does daddy need? Well, daddy doesn't need anything. Honestly, what I need, my girls can't give me. Uh, they're, they just don't, I mean, I need a new Bronco. Uh, the girls can't give me that. You know, they just can't do that. I need one of those, um, one of those um, boxy-looking uh, Mercedes. I love those. They're only $250,000. That's what I need. Uh, they can't give me anything I need. Honestly, all I want, like God says, I just want, I just want faithful love. I, I just want relationship. I just want Him to call me. Keep your, <laughs> keep your ties in your socks. Because I, I can buy my own ties and socks. What would I do with a tie? I don't even use a tie. And you can't really do anything with old ties. I mean, it's like nothing to do with it. What I want is a conversation. Call me. You want to give me the best gift? Let's, let's, let's have a conversation. And, and, and God is saying, He just wants relationship with us. And it would be nice if we just said thanks every now and then. Do you ever forget to say thank you? It means something to you when, somebody, when you do something and somebody says thanks. The, the question is, can you find things, even when life's not going your way, to be thankful for? Because life doesn't always go your way. Now, it's easy to be thankful when you make straight A's. It's easy to be thankful when you have a good job. It's easy to be thankful when you're healthy. It's easy to be thankful when your kids aren't driving you crazy. It's easy to be thankful but when life is tough, when you don't feel well, when things are going on in your family that don't seem to go the way you want them to, when you're having to deal with aging parents or rebellious children, life isn't always where you want it to be. Can you still be thankful? How many of you all know the name Matthew Henry? He's a, a guy who wrote a commentary uh, of the uh, whole Bible. Matthew Henry. It's called... Uh, creatively, Matthew Henry's Commentary. Uh, very creative title. Matthew Henry was this great Christian. One day he was robbed at knife point. <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't imagine being robbed. I can't really imagine being robbed at knife point. And yet, this is what he writes in his journal that night. Lord, let me be thankful first, because I was never robbed before. Second, because they took my wallet, but they didn't take my life. Third, because they took my all, but it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. It's a great, great thing to say. It is finding something positive, even in a negative. You know what, we, we rarely thank God for the nail in our tire, but do we know what might have happened if we had just gone on? What if a nail in a tire causes you to slow down and causes you not be at a place where if you were at that place, an accident might have happened? Do you ever think that way? Because I think it's a good way to think. What if, 
sometimes things that seem bad happen, but they're not really bad. We just don't know the full story yet. Could be, probably is, how it works. Another way of giving God your heart and your soul would be a commitment. Making a commitment. Give yourselves completely to God. Recently, I've read about a couple of prominent Christians who now say they aren't Christians anymore. They've kind of just denounced faith. And I, I don't know their hearts, and I certainly don't know their reasons. But it just is disconcerting for us when folks who we kind of look to sometimes, now all of a sudden don't seem to even have faith anymore. And one has to wonder about giving themselves completely. Could you give yourself completely to God, even if you knew it wasn't going to always go your way? Tough stuff happens. Jesus said, in this world you'll have troubles. Never promises us perfection or ease. I read an article this week by a guy named Gary McPherson. And he talked about commitment. And Gary McPherson interviewed some students who were about to take uh, up a, a, an instrument didn't really matter what instrument it was. He just talked to these students about taking up an instrument. Now, if you've ever taught or if you've ever been around things like this, you'll know some students excel and they're great and they, they go on forever to do this instrument. They play the piano or the banjo or whatever it is. Some students only do it for a bit and then they kind of fall off. I took piano lessons in sixth grade for two months and I didn't want to do it anymore. So there are people like me. And then there are other people who kind of stick with it some, but they're, they're moderate. They, they just sort of, they just never really excel. And he wanted to know what, was, what were the factors between, you know, quitters like me and people that stuck with it forever and were good at it, and then other people who just did it for a, a kind of a short period of time. What were the indicators, the factors? He found one predictor. It wasn't age, it wasn't gender, it wasn't um, race, it wasn't um, sense of rhythm, it wasn't math skills, although I think uh, learning an instrument helps with math skills, it wasn't that going in. The one predictor was, he would ask this question and whatever their answer was would predict almost um, perfectly how long they would stay with it. He asked the question, how long do you think you'll play? And if their answer was, well, I don't want to play very long, then they would, they would be like me. They didn't play very long. And if they said, well, I'll play some, that was the end. But if they said, I want to do this for the rest of my life, that was the predictor. Because when we commit, we accomplish just about anything. Uh, how many of us have started something and it just didn't go our way? Mostly because we just aren't committed. My wife speaks German. She's really, really good at it. When we go overseas, Miriam, if they speak German, she's our interpreter. She's Swiss. Um, so I remember one time we had just gotten married. We went to Switzerland before kids. That's when you actually have money. And uh, we went over there, and there was a family reunion, and all the Swiss people were there, and Miriam, and they, they all t kind of were talking, and then they looked at me and laughed. And I, I said, honey, what, what did they say? And she said, you don't want to know. Uh, so, um, now, I took German classes, but I, I didn't stick with it. Now, if Miriam only spoke German, I would speak German. 
Now she, she's, she speaks English better than me. You know, uh, it's like her second language. She already speaks better than me. Listen, when we are compelled, we'll do it. If she only spoke German, man, I would speak German because I would be compelled. So we bring God pleasure when we give Him ourselves, when we give Him our heart and our souls, when we give Him our affection. We also bring Him pleasure when we give Him our attention. Love God with your mind. Love God with your mind, as he said. There is a terrifying trend in America you need to know about. The attention span of the average American has decreased in the last 20 years. This is remarkable. In 2000, this is before the digital revolution, the attention span of an American is, was 12 seconds. So it's not like we were killing it back then. Digital age happens. Our attention span now is 8 seconds. To give you perspective, a goldfish's attention is 9 seconds. We're losing to goldfish, just so you know. Look, he's even shocked. Uh, look at his face. Whoa. Uh, we give God our attention because He is attentive to us. Look at this verse. These are verses are great. Oh Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts even before or even when I'm far away. Um, you see me when I travel, when I rest. You know everything I do. It's amazing. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. Oh, um, you go before me. He could stop some of us. You know, uh, really, if he knows it, he should stop some of us. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hands of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. He is attentive to us. So we should give him our attention. You know, attention is one of the greatest things you can give someone. How many times do you see scenes like this where a parent is busy and the child is just screaming for attention? The greatest thing you can give a child is your attention. Put down your phone. Stop doing something else. Give them your attention. Remember the first time you fell in love, what crazy, stupid stuff you used to do? Miriam and I, <laughs> we were dating. I would drive by where she lived to look at her car. We have a word for that. It's called stalking now. Uh, but I just wanted to be in her orbit, you know? That's, that's, what we, that's what we do when we're in love. We give them our attention. Now, attention, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's difficult. Sometimes we live in a world where it's very difficult to give our attention fully. So we just should admit it. First, let's admit it. I, I am easily distracted. Look at what it says in Romans. Uh, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. And a lot of what we do is without even thinking. We have to admit, hey, look, God, I am really not good at this. I'm going to try to give you my attention. Will you help me with this? I just have to admit it. I have to open myself up to admitting it. Then I just have to make some time. got to make some time. I make time for the things that are important to me. People will say, oh, I'm so, so busy. Yeah, you are busy. There's no doubt about it. But you make time for what's important. I've said it before. If Kentucky is playing basketball, I make time for that. That's important to me. It just is. We were horrible this year. 9 and 16. I've never seen anything like it. I watched every minute of it. I didn't miss a second. I would tape it and rewatch it. 
In Kentucky, basketball is so big, not only do you watch the game, then you have the post-game. I've told you all this. Then you have the post-post-game. That's where the rednecks call in. It's great. When we're losing, it is magical. Oh, the rednecks, they are great. You make time for what's important to you. You just do. So, you establish some time. Look at this verse. Now, let me give you the context. Every text has a context. Jesus healed a a dude who had leprosy. Leprosy is this disease where basically um, you you lose feeling and then um, you have decay. And like if you didn't have feeling in your fingers, then you could hurt yourself and not even know it. And so people with leprosy back in that day, that was relatively incurable. The only thing you could do is they would, they would actually, it was so, it was so um, infectious that they would put you into your own community. You couldn't be with everybody else. And so there was a guy and he had leprosy and Jesus heals him and he gives him some, some very explicit instruction. Go to the priest and show him you. And the priest would examine a person who had had leprosy and if they were leprosy free, he would write them a pass or something. He would, he would you know, proclaim them free of leprosy. And then he could join the community again. Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priest and don't tell anybody. Well, this guy didn't do that. He went and showed himself to the priest. I can kind of see this in my mind how this worked out. He went and showed himself to the priest. The priest said, you know, clean. You're not unclean anymore. You can hang out with everybody else. He goes and hangs out with everybody else. So he's in the town square and they hadn't seen him for a while. And it's like, hey, you know, uh, John, didn't you have leprosy? I used to, but now I don't. Well, what happened? Well, a guy named Jesus. And this is what happens. The news about him spread all the more because dude couldn't keep his mouth shut because sometimes the good news is so great you can't not share it. it. It is so good you have to tell people. You just do. The guy was a leper. He was exiled. Now he's back with his people. You're going to tell somebody. He tells somebody. The news about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. If I said to you, I know where you can buy brand new cars for $2,000, that lot would be packed. Because just, that just doesn't happen very often, ever. So, guy said, hey, he healed me of my leprosy. Now... If you hear a guy has been healed of leprosy, if you've got an ingrown toenail, you are going to that guy. Because if he can heal leprosy, an ingrown toenail is nothing. I mean, he is going to take care of you. But look at the very next verse. But Jesus often, if you have your Bibles out, you might want to underline this. Because we really don't think about this. We blow by this. We want the action. Jesus is healing people. Action. But Jesus often, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It is, it is a remarkable verse. This is God incarnate who finds the need during his busiest times to make time, allocate time, to be alone and to pray. It I don't know if you notice, this happens all the time in Jesus' life. He's often, it doesn't say he occasionally, every once in a while, 
once a year. Often, it's almost as if Jesus needed to recharge through being alone with God in prayer. He does these amazing things. And then he, he retracts himself from activity to be alone and recharge. It's like he's an electric car. You know, he can only go so far. And then he's got to recharge. And he recharges through being alone with God in prayer. It's really kind of amazing if you think about it. So I admit my attention span is whack. And then I establish a time. I'm going to spend some time with God. I'm going to have a Sabbath. I'm going to have a time. I'm going to spend an hour. I'm going to do something every day. Because you can do what you want to do. And then you read God's Word. You ingest it. Jesus said people uh, do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the Word of God. You, you read God's Word. In 2020, which was a train wreck of a year, really interesting. The American Bible Society has determined that Bible searches online soared by 80% last year. 80%. They also did some research. People who read their Bible are more, are more hopeful than people who don't. And, this is not coincidental, the more you read, the more hopeful you are. Look at these stats. People who infrequently read their Bibles were 42% hopeful. Monthly readers, 59% hopeful. Weekly readers, 66% hopeful. Frequent readers, that was three or four or more times a week, 75% hopeful. When you read God's Word, you understand this life isn't all there is. The most searched for text last year was Isaiah 41, Do not fear, for I am with you. Who didn't need to hear that last year? We probably need to hear it this year. Finally, you converse with God. This little text, pray continually. We can all memorize that one. That one's not too tough. And you develop a rhythm of prayer. My wife does it when she drives to work. Doesn't turn on her radio. She just leaves her radio off. She leaves our driveway, and I think it's about 15 minutes to get to where she works, and in her drive, on her drive, she prays. Every time you get in your car, you can pray. Every time you turn on the ignition, you can pray. You just have to set up a rhythm for prayer. I went to visit my mother last week, and so Miriam was home by herself. Elisa and I went to visit mom in Kentucky. I have a ring app on my, uh, I have a ring uh, floodlight on my house, and so when there's motion outside, it triggers, and then there's a little bling on my phone. On Tuesday night, going into Wednesday, the little bling on my Ring app went off 29 times between 10 o'clock and 3.47 a.m. 29 times during the night. At 3.47, I determined Miriam was on her own. Uh, I turned that dude off. I was like, I'm not doing Evidently, there was a little uh, cobweb in front of it, and every time the wind would blow just right, it would trigger it off. I tell you that to tell you this. Every time that went off and it would wake me up, I would just pray. Lord, you know, I pray for Miriam, and then I would pray that he kill that spider. Uh, so, <laughs> rhythm of prayer. You know, you got to get rhythm of prayer. So, we admit our attention is not good. Lord, you know it. Help me. Uh, I establish a time. I ingest God's Word. I, I just spend some time. And this year, I'm reading less, but I'm thinking about it more. 
rather than reading a whole bunch, I'm just reading less, but thinking about it more. And also, uh, then we have this conversation. There's one more way that we can bring God pleasure, and that's when we give Him our abilities. Love the Lord your God with all your strength, your abilities. God has given them to you. Martin Luther was this great reformer, great Christian thinker. And a guy came to know Christ, and he went to Martin Luther and said, I don't know what I should do. What should I do? And Martin Luther said, what do you do now? He said, well, I'm a, I'm a cobbler. I make shoes. And he said, well, okay, here's what you do. You make great shoes, and you sell them for a fair price. That's what you do. He didn't say, stitch John 6, 3.16 in the tongue of the shoe. Just do what you do really well. The Bible tells us, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Do it as for God, not for men. Just do your best. Sometimes we need an attitude adjustment. I heard about a little boy named Ryan. He had gone to first day of first grade, and he had gone to kindergarten the year before, and kindergarten was half a day, and so it got to be about lunchtime, and Ryan knew that the regular drill last year was he would pack up his things and go home at lunch. That was kind of how it worked in kindergarten, and so he started to pack up his stuff, but his teacher, Miss Wanda, said, Ryan, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm packing up. I'm going home. She said, no, no. In first grade, we uh, get to lunch, and we go all have lunch together, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to work for the, a little bit more this afternoon. He was, he was dumbfounded. And he kind of looked at her like, you're telling me a joke, right? And then when he realized it wasn't a joke, he, he said, who signed me up for this? <laughs> we sometimes need to adjust our attitude. We, we might think, I don't have much to offer. Well, says who? Sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit. Says who? You don't have much to offer. I, I want to tell you a story kind of as we close. This is the Holocaust Memorial in Boston. Each pillar represents one of the concentration camps where millions of Jews were annihilated, abused. There was a woman named Gerta um, Weissman, Weissman. She lived in Poland. She and her mother were both taken captive by the Germans and then... Uh, they were separated. Her mom went to one internment camp and she went to another. Her mom perished there. Goethe was able to not just survive somehow living in the concentration camp, but she was taken on a 350-mile death march and somehow she survived that as well. When the American troops liberated her, she weighed 60 68 pounds. One of the most improbable love stories of all time. The man who liberated her was Lieutenant Kurt Klein and she married him. Mrs. Klein later wrote about her experience in the concentration camp. Each one of these pillars has stories. One of the stories in one of these pillars is Gerta talking about her friend Ilsa, who one day found a raspberry on the ground. 
and Gerta and Ilsa lived in the same um, bunkhouse, but they were working in di- different parts of the camp. And so Ilsa stole, not stole it, but she sort of stole it away. She picked it up, put it in her pocket. And later that evening, she gave her friend, Gerta, this raspberry. One raspberry isn't much, unless it's all you have. She gave everything she had. You might not think what you have to offer is much, but when you give it all to God, you don't know what He's going to be able to do with it. Remember, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. So the question we end with today is, how are we actually doing with that? Because when we do that, amazing things can happen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your reminder that we have something to offer you. Lord, help us to do it with a grateful and cheerful heart. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.